Jesus' mission was to comfort those who mourn, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, and open prison doors for those who are bound. For those who want more than status quo Christianity has to offer, Blazing Grace Radio begins now. And here is your host, Mike Janung. Hi, this is Mike Janung with Blazing Grace, and welcome to the show. Some of you are probably asking by now, who is Blazing Grace? We're an international ministry to people who struggle with porn addiction, sex addiction, adultery, sexual sin, and we also have uh, ministry to the wives. So we, we work with couples and individuals. I've written seven books. Uh, we offer counseling. We have courses online. We have phone courses, ton of resources on our website, blazinggrace.org. And it's an international ministry. By that, I mean we have partners in Austria, Italy, and Finland. The books are, my books are translated into German and Italian, and so we ship books literally all over the world. This is a problem that affects many people. Um, it's not just a North American problem, and God has blessed us to really being able to reach out um, outside of North America and go on speaking trips and ministering to people. So um, that's who we are, and I'm going to get into who I am by sharing my story. I was brought up in a Christian home in Southern California. I was a basketball freak. I loved the Los Angeles Lakers, and as he does every year, you know, I got a Sports Illustrated subscription, and as it does every year, in February, the uh, swimsuit issue would come in the mail. And those images of those young women wearing next to nothing really burned in my mind and set me on fire for the want for more. So I started uh, messing around looking at Sears catalogs and then getting into pornography and getting into Playboy and... There was another event that happened around the time I was 14 years old uh, when I was staying home from school sick one day. I had a trusted female adult family member who was in the house come and molest me. And when that happened, my mind just shut down and blocked off the memory of what happened. It was, it was a situation where I could not accept that this was real that it just happened. So at the same time after that happened, um, my emotions just start going crazy like a yo-yo. I started having all these suicidal thoughts and self-loathing. I couldn't figure out what the heck was going on. And, and then I kept going deeper into porn and masturbation with binging every day and, and then um, started dating girls and um, having sexual experiences. The boss at the company I worked for, for one of my birthdays, gave me a prostitute. Um, I had sex with uh, young women. There was prostitutes. I picked up 
gonorrhea, had a one-night stand at a bar, and so my life was just a royal mess. And in between all that was a lot of drugs and alcohol. And then uh, the thing that I did that I regret the most was I ended up having an affair with the wife of one of my friends. He was 10 years older than me, and they had three kids. He invited me to live at their home, and so I agreed, and then one thing led to another, and I ended up having an affair. And, but at the same time, this is how sick it was. He was having an affair on his wife with a woman, so everything that was going on in my life was just chaos and a mess. By the time I was around 22, 23 years old, I was just a depressed mess. And, you know, I'd grown up in the church, but I don't know. I mean, I believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and that he died on the cross, but I had walked away from the church years, you know, ago, mainly from maybe what happened in my family and, you know, the molestation thing, you know, if... If this is what the Christian world is, I don't want any part of that. But, you know, when I started, I really fell into depression. And then I just started remembering, you know, about God and started having a hunger for him. And one night I went to church on my own. I'd been living with the woman I was having the affair with. And the preacher talked, gave a message on um, when Abraham let his father, Terah, and God called Abraham out and said, now I want you to go to a different land away from your family. And the preacher just punched it right there. And he said, God is calling some of you right now to leave where you are and to go in a different place. And I knew right then and there the Lord was speaking to me and saying, I want you out of this mess. And, you know, I'd love to say that wham, bam, I walked away from the affair. It took a year, at least a year, maybe it was a year and a half before that happened. Because once you start having sex with someone, there's a bond there. And it took me quite a while to finally tear away from that bond and end that relationship. I stopped dating girls who weren't believers. I started reading my Bible and going to church and cleaning my life up. Got away from the drugs and the alcohol and stopped all that. But no matter what I did, I just couldn't kick the porn problem. And that, that was always there. But I figured, well, I'm single. You know, what's it hurting everybody? So porn and masturbation was always a constant um, most days, every day during that time. And then I met in 1988, I met Michelle, the woman I was going to marry. Yeah, I was 26 at the time. She was 20. We got married, and I'm thinking, you know, now I can have biblically sanctioned sex. That's going to fix all my lust problems. Well, boy, was I wrong. It made them 10 times worse because when you get married, what happens is you bring all of your false coping mechanisms, all your baggage, all your unresolved wounds, and I had a lot of those. And so this poor girl had no idea who she was marrying. I figured my porn pump's going to go away, and for the first six months of our marriage, I was clean. But then, you know, the inevitable strife that always happens when you put two people together of the opposite sex from different family um, situations um, got to me, and my coping mechanism for stress was porn and masturbation. So just six months into our marriage, 
I was binging every day all over again, and I just felt horrible and torn up, and she didn't know and what she was married to. and But, you know, I ain't telling no one, so I just kept going on my own and trying by willpower, and, and it just never worked. Well, a year and a half into our marriage, um, I took a business trip to Ohio, and lust always leaves a man or a woman hungrier and emptier than before, and I've been, you know, going at it for now a year straight hard again. And lust wasn't enough, and I ended up having sex with a prostitute in my hotel room, and that just tore me up. I just felt, after she left, I just felt terrible. I felt like there was evil yuck all over me, and I tried to take a shower to wash it off, and I just felt filthy. And and then here I am, this Christian guy, my wife's looking up to me like, you know, I've been playing the game, you know, go to church, put on the smile, read your Bible, doing all that stuff. But really, I was living a double life. And I was still on the road. I still had another week to go on the um, the business trip. And I, I just couldn't take the guilt anymore. And I called her. And I'll never forget that phone call. It was one of the worst days of my life when I told her that I'd committed adultery with a prostitute. And she just started sobbing and crying and calling out my name and Mike, Mike, Mike. And um, those, that phone call still haunts me to this day. And then I realized I had done far more than just hurt her. I'd actually broken her heart. And I needed to get help. So as soon as I got home, you know, our marriage is in pieces. I know I need to get help. I go to a, a marriage retreat that our church put on. And I realize I've never told anyone about my porn problem. And um, the, uh, the pastor was putting it on. There was a break. And I'm, you know, scared to death, full of shame. I approach him and... I mumble the words, uh, I've got this problem with pornography. And he had a beaming smile, you know, when I approached him. But as soon as I said that, he just looked at me in fury. And he said, just stop doing it. Just stop. And when he said that, I, ju- I didn't say a word. I just hung my head and walked away. And I knew that I was in so deep that to just stop doing it I I couldn't go there. I wasn't strong enough. Um, Les had too too far of a grip on me. So that began an eight-year journey for freedom. And I thought, you know what? I am not going to the church again for help. <laughs> um, that didn't do me any good. So I looked in the yellow pages. Those were in the days when you know we had phone books that we used. Today it's all Google. But so I looked in the yellow pages found Sexaholics Anonymous, which was a 12-step group along the lines of AA, went in there and, you know, I'm driving to this group and I'm terrified and thinking, these are all going to be a bunch of sleazy, scumbag perverts who have been in jail and, you know, I pictured them all dirty and, and you know, I was scared and I walked in the room and to my shock, all of them were Christians. One had been a senior pastor one had been a music minister, and all around the room, these guys were all, you know, I've been going to church. <laughs> so I'm sitting there scratching my head, you know, thinking, what is going on? Because, you know, we don't talk about sex or pornography or masturbation in church. I just thought, 
Well, maybe these are the, you know, the, the Christian freaks and perverts. So um, it was such a relief just to be able to share and get that junk off of me. And for the first time in my life, I got a year and a half of abstinence. And then I took a business trip. And then I lost it. Um, binged on porn, masturbation, a hotel room. Then I got another three years of abstinence again, which pretty amazing, first time in my life, still going to the groups, sponsoring guys, getting involved. And then we moved from Southern California to Colorado. And when that happened, all my support system was gone. And just a month after we moved to Colorado Springs, I fell hard at home uh, with a porn binge. But this time, I didn't pick myself up. I spent the next several years um, off and on binging on porn once a week, once a month, maybe once every three months, once every six months. The frequency didn't matter. I was just as miserable and empty. Some people get caught up, well, I'm I'm only doing it once a month or once every three months. That stuff still had a grip on my soul. So basically, I spent eight years in counseling, going to groups, reading my Bible, praying, um, helping people in ministry, doing all this stuff. And then at the end of 1998, after an eight-year journey, I go on a business trip, and I view porn, but I don't masturbate. And I'm torn up. I come home, and I talk to one of the guys from the group, and he said, well, hey, at least you didn't act out, meaning... I was still sober according to the definition of the group sobriety definition, which had to do with masturbation. So if you didn't have sex with yourself, but you looked at porn, you were still sober. And it just hit me, you know what? This is as far as a 12-step group can take me. And I realized I'd done all this stuff, and it got me nowhere. And I was empty, and I was miserable, and I just gave up and said, okay, God, Um, Either you're the God who you say you are, who can set captives free, or this whole church and Christianity thing is a big lie. And in that moment, he broke me and he showed me my heart. You know, I didn't think it was all that bad because I try to do good things every once in a while. But it was what he showed me in that moment, it was it was pitch black. There was nothing good in it. And then at that point, I made God my only hope. Not groups, not counseling, not anything else. Either God comes through for me or it's nothing. So, um, I'm, but I still know I need the support of others. So I stay in the group. Because um, you got to stay out of isolation. I start going all out for the first time in my life. Because the Lord shows me that I've been kind of compromising in some areas. And in this game, 90% of an effort is not enough. You have to go 100% in the cutting off the stumbling blocks like we're told to do in Matthew 5, 30, I think it is. If something causes you to stumble, cut it off. So I started cutting off the temptation blocks under my control, and I'm doing all these things, and now it's been about six months since I've acted out, but I'm still empty inside. And then, as most good Christians do, I figure, well, to fill that emptiness, I'm going to get involved in ministry. So I go to the local rescue mission and start serving down there and helping the homeless people. And, but I'm still empty. And I talked to a friend about it, and he said, 
I told him, I feel like I'm looking for God in the rescue mission. He said, well, you're not going to find him there. And then it hit me, the light bulb went on, that all my life I've been seeking for God. And I really not understood that. I've been hungry for him. And this was a message that really hadn't, you know, gotten through in the church. I mean, a lot of what we get is we're going to study the Bible day, and this is what the verses mean, but hunger for God was something new and what was really going on at that moment was the Holy Spirit was showing me, you're hungry for me. And then he starts putting all these verses in front of my face um, through different avenues. If you seek me with all your face, with all your heart, not with all your face, but with all your heart, you will find me. Seek the Lord and seek his face, seek his strength continually. So I took that to heart and I went on an all-out search for God. I told Lord, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know I'm going to go after you hard until you reveal yourself to me. And I'm not going to back down until you show up. And again, I had no idea what I was doing or, you know, was anything going to happen, but all I knew was I was starved to death for him. And then just weeks later, when I go after I go on that adventure looking for him, I'm alone in a bedroom in the house. Got First John in front of me going through 1 John 4 where it says um, God is love and whoever abides in love abides in grace and um, whoever abides in love abides in him. And I just got depressed and I said, Lord, why is it every time I read about your grace and love I just get depressed? And, and then the Holy Spirit spoke the words right into my mind. He said, because you don't believe it. And then God opened my mind and my heart to the truth that all my life God had been saying to me, I love you. And I've been saying to him, no, you don't. You're car- whole, cold and hard and condemning. Um, I could never measure up to you. I was, whenever I'd sin, I'd grovel and ask, beg for forgiveness. And, and then it was just amazing um, what happened was the Holy Spirit turn this valve in my heart and suddenly I understood that God did love me and I received that and all this amazing love and joy and peace and power just flooded in my heart and it was just amazing. It was like being raised from the dead. It was like resurrection all in, in one second. I've got all this joy and it's like, whoa, this is, this is now this is what I read about in the Bible. It's like, I got this now. I don't mean like that I got this the Christian life down, but I meant I've got the real thing. This is what I've been looking for all of my life is to be filled with him. And I mean, I'm just bursting with joy. I don't know what to do with myself. And I figured, well, you know, since I struggle with this whole sex addiction thing, maybe a few other people might too. And, you know, I think, well, maybe I'm a freak. Maybe I'm a you know freak or a Christian pervert because they don't talk about that stuff in church. So maybe there's one or two percent of believers who struggle with this. And this was in 2000. And they started doing research, and that's when Promise Keepers was just hitting its stride. And they were doing all these surveys of men who were walking out of their stadium events, and they they were finding out that half of Christian men had been viewing porn within 60 days or so. And when I saw that, I thought, half? Half? You gotta be kidding me. Freaking half? How could it be half? 
Our churches aren't talking about this stuff, and half the men in the church are struggling with this. I mean, if it's just one or two percent, you know, okay, well, you know, we can we can sweep that under the rug. But half, that's like an all-time, all-out epidemic. That was in 2000, and then after 2007, with the advent of the iPhone, it jumped from half to two-thirds. Uh George Barna, the well-known Christian surveying organization, and Josh McDowell took, took a survey a couple years ago, and they found the same thing. Two-thirds of men viewing porn, um, a lot of pastors, and also a lot of our youth. And did you know that the segment of the population that views porn the most is 12 to 17-year-olds, mom and dads? And then it's 20 year olds after that. So uh, I just couldn't believe it. And what really shocks me today is still, we have people coming to us every day for help from all over. And we continue to hear repeatedly, my pastor's not talking about this. We don't hear anything about this. We're not being equipped. Church we left, um, you know, they were big into verse by verse. Bible teaching, which I think is great. I do love it. But the problem is, if you're not going to be hitting a book of the Bible that doesn't touch sex for maybe a year, two or three years, um, well, we're not going to be dealing with that issue for a while. And the other issue, the problem is, if all you do is wait till you do your verse-by-verse verse thing and you stumble onto a verse on sex and all you do is say, well, porn or lust of sex, don't do it. This is what the Bible says. And you move on. You have not equipped or helped anyone all you've done is open the door and just left them at the gate with no help and all you've done is keep drilling them into shame because nobody who's into this stuff can just walk away from it so i want you to think about this for a second what does it mean when two-thirds of the men in the church and 25 30 percent of the women are in bondage at some level to lust and sexual sin Think about what has happened this year with how our country is blown up and think about the church's, what I would think, what I would call a weak response. We have been giving up ground to the enemy for years. We've been losing our salt for years, if not decades. How can a church with so much sexual sin coursing through its veins even have a shot a revival. A lot of people are talking about, oh, we're going to have a spiritual awakening revival, but nobody's talking about we have to face the problems that are keeping us from revival. You know, to have revival requires facing your sin and the pain that goes along with that. So there are two big sins, two big things we have to face today is one is all the sexual sin floating through every level of the church and our pride and arrogance that says we don't have that problem. But the other thing is I wanna, what I want to address real quickly is that if this many people are struggling, that means a lot of God's people are in torment and shame and having their lives torn apart in our midst that you're sitting to, including pastors, day in and day out. We cannot ignore this problem. And if you're one of those who are withering and shame if you're a wife of a husband and you feel like you're alone or if you're a man and you're in bondage 
I want to encourage you and challenge you to call us today. Um, our contact inf information is at the end of the show. We'll pray with you. We offer counseling. I've got my books. We offer, and we've been working with people for years. Blazing Grace has been going for t almost 20 years now. We offer hope. And you go to the website. There's a lot of content. There's a lot of materials that will get you started. There is hope, and, and there is a way out. And a big part of what we do is not just the men, but to the wives and ladies. A lot of the time what happens in this conversation is the wife gets left out. We don't, not only do we not leave the wife out, we have a lot of resources and groups and courses for the women too. We do couples counseling and we do individual counseling. And so I want to invite you, if you're struggling or in bondage or hurting, please do not stay in isolation anymore. Please reach out and contact us for help. Thanks. Do you want to be free? Blazing Grace is a nonprofit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse. Please visit us at blazinggrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, visit us at blazinggrace.org. Email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call the office at 719-888-5144. Yeah.